I would like for you to take the word of God, please, and turn with me in the New Testament to the book of Acts in the 20th chapter, and we'll begin reading in just a moment, in Acts chapter 20 with verse 17. Acts chapter 20 and verse 17. We come upon a scene recorded for us by the Holy Spirit of God with men who are weeping. As a matter of fact, they appear to be out of control in their weeping. And if you walk closer, you'll find the attention is given to one person. They're all thinking evidently about that one person and what he has said. And God gives us this record as if the Lord is standing there observing it. And the things he emphasizes are the things that he wants us to hear about that conversation. So we view, we look, we see, and then we hear. We hear what this man is saying to them. The word of God says in Acts chapter 20, beginning with verse 17, and from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, you know from the first day that I came into Asia after the, what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mine and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel, the grace of God. And now behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall many grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, watch and remember 
that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I have showed you all things how that so laboring you ought to support the weak, to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them. And they all wept sore and fell on his neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him under the ship. If you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, I want you to mark an expression found in the 24th verse. I have finished my course with joy. I finished my course with joy. This chapter could be subtitled a chapter of human tears and weeping. Paul talks early on, he talks early on about warning with tears. He talks in the middle of the conversation again about how he shed tears for these people. And then as the scene comes to a conclusion, the Bible says that Paul kneeled down. Evidently, they kneeled down all around him. And the apostle Paul was praying. He had just said to them, I commend you to God. And they prayed with him and they wept. And they walked him to the ship, to board the ship, to continue his journey. They knew that he was telling them about how he was finishing his course. He was concluding his life. The end had not yet come, but God had given him some insight and it was coming. He used this word that is used from time to time, the word finished. Finished. Sometimes people finish a meal, they finish a conversation. But here he says, God has laid out a course for me. He chose it for me. I didn't choose it for myself. But he chose it for me. I discovered what God's choice was. And you remember there are circumstantial things you have no control over. As much as you may think about them and why they happen and how they happen, you have no choice about where you were born and to whom you were born, some of the things that have come into your life. And Paul said, this is not what I chose, this is what God chose. 
Then he discovered that the things he chose in preparation as he describes them for us in his letters in the New Testament came into perfect harmony with what God has chosen. And he's summarizing all of this and saying, I'm finishing my course. The question I have for you and God helping me, I'll speak on it this service and the next one we have together, is how do you plan to finish your course? I started to use the term, how do you hope to finish your course? But I decided against it. I think many of us have hopes, but I wanted to give a little more weight to this thought. How do you plan deliberately, working at it with earnestness? How do you plan to finish your life? I want you to hold your place here just a moment. And I want you to look at some prohibitions that Paul laid out for himself. When he wrote the church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians, the closing part of the ninth chapter, he says in verse 25 of 1 Corinthians chapter nine, and every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown but we an incorruptible. He's talking about finishing a race and what people are doing to finish right. And whatever they're gifted with to recognize their achievement is corruptible. It won't last. But he says, what I'm doing will last forever because he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Your record here will last forever. What you do in the will of God will last forever. Maybe it's God's will for you just to confine yourself to being the faithful mother to rear the children that God has given you. When my wife and I go to London, England, we go to Bunhill Fields and we tour a cemetery. In this particular cemetery, people were buried there that could not be buried in hollowed ground. According to the Church of England and the powers that be, the ground was too good for them. So they were carried out to a certain place and it soon became recognizable that the great people who blazed a trail for God apart from the hollowed ground cemeteries could be buried here. And there's one grave that stands out. It's been there for, as a tombstone for more than 200 years. It's the tombstone of Savannah Wesley. You need to read her life story. She's not remembered for anything but her family, maybe her trifling husband who was a preacher who amounted to nearly nothing and the responsibility she was carrying that was cast upon her to rear her children. And she did rear the children. She read them the word of God, had devotions with them, spent a time each week and each day with special time with them. One of her children happened to be John Wesley, the great preacher, 
One was the great songwriter whose songs we still sing, Charles Wesley. And no one would look at that gravestone and say, oh, she was just a mother. She was a world changer. She was an earth shaker. She gifted, she gifted the world as a mother with what she did with her children. I'm not trying to say someone's task may have seemed to be in the eyes of the world so much greater than someone else's task or someone's course, they're on so much greater than someone else's course, but your course, your task, your assignment, what God has given you, what God has given you, how do you hope to finish your life? How do you plan to finish your life? It's coming to an end. No doubt. On this earth, we're not here forever. There's an interesting statement given to us in the Old Testament when the destruction of Judah in the book of Lamentations. Would you just let me read it while you listen? It's God's description of how a nation was destroyed. And when you come to the fourth chapter, the testimony is given here that the anger of the Lord was against his people. And the text says in verse 17, as for us, our eyes are yet failed for our vain help. In other words, we wanted someone to deliver us, but the deliverer never came. We wanted someone to help us, but the help never got there. In our watching, we have watched for a nation that could not save us. And then the Bible says in verse 18, they hunt our steps that we cannot go in our streets. Our end is near. Our days are fulfilled for our end has come. In other words, someone is looking, watching the enemy approaching. The nation and the city of Jerusalem has been taken over. Will they be next? They hear the footsteps of the enemy. They know it's close. And then they say, it's come. Our end has come. When you've been engaged in something that's competitive and there's some way you measure the game and when you finish, somebody wins and somebody loses, when you're behind and you think you're near the end, you may be working really, really hard and always, not every once in a while, but always someone on the team said, we should have worked this hard early on. Not just in the last few minutes, of the thing or the few seconds. I'm saying to you, think about your life. Think about your life, your God-given life. You started it. You're going to end. It may end with sudden death. You can't make any plan then. It may end with such a sorrowful death when all the facilities of your life have been taken from you and no rational decisions can be made. Only 
you just lie there and other people care for you. In these more than half century of ministry, I've seen quite a bit of that. But how do you plan to finish your life? How do you plan? It will come to an end. The Bible says appointed to men wants to die, but after this, the judgment. So it's coming. I'm not trying to make you sorrowful. I'm trying to make you hopeful and trying to get you to see that planning needs to be done. Look back with me at this 20th chapter of the book of Acts. I want to call your attention to some things. Paul deliberately sent for the leaders of Ephesus, the place where he'd spent more time than any other place in his earthly ministry, to meet him at a certain place. And no doubt as he was preparing for the meeting, he was giving consideration about what he was going to say. And the Holy Spirit enabled him and the human penman for the book of Acts, his assisting physician, Luke, no doubt was eyewitness to these things. And this is how it happened. They greeted him, no doubt. They were anxious to see him and hear his voice and see what he'd say. And he began to speak and said, In verse 18, and when they were come to him, he said unto them, ye know from the first day that I came into Asia after what manner I have been with you at all seasons. In other words, the record's already made. Would you write it down? The record's already made. I've conducted hundreds, thousands of funerals and some people want me to enlarge someone in death and make something out of them that they're not really or haven't been. But we're making our record as we live. People know you. They know who you are. They know if you know Jesus Christ and that Christ is large enough in your life that you talk about him and tell people about him Perhaps if you know the Lord as your Savior, there's been lots and lots of talk about how you came to know him. But Paul assures these people, my record is already written. And while you're planning your life, you're, you're writing the record. When he wrote the Corinthians in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, notice he says, I kept my body in subjection. I... I, I, I I made sure that there are things I did not do and things I did do. There are prohibitions God had for me. I knew if I got into that, it would ruin my meeting at the end with God. I plan to finish. I got a meeting I'm going to. You have a meeting you're going to. You and I are going to a meeting with God. What plans are you making for it? Someone came to me with the gospel. They explained to me what God had done for my sin, that God sent his only begotten son to die on the cross for my sin. Can you imagine what God did for me and for you? 
that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And Christ went to the cross. He, he became a man. He was robed in flesh. God robed in flesh became a man so he could live on this earth and he lived a sinless life. He owed no sin debt and he went to the cross and he bled and died, not for his own sin, but for our sin. And everything that God demanded that we pay because of our sin, Christ, God's son, paid it. He died and was buried. Why did he do that? The greatest tragedy in human history became the greatest triumph in human history. The devil said, we've got him, we've killed him. People are carrying signs today in our world. If Jesus comes again, we'll kill him again. Can you imagine people marching in streets in America carrying signs like that? People so rebellious against God, they're carrying signs saying, we're happy we're going to hell. We plan to have a good time in hell. That's the world in which we live and people are talking then, carrying signs and bragging about it. There'll be no happiness in hell, no smiles, no children, no flowers, no pleasant days, no fond memories. The Bible says weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus told the story. He pulled back the curtain and he said himself, in hell a man lift up his eyes being in torments and he saw Lazarus afar off and he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. That's what people are doing in hell. Have mercy on me and send Lazarus. I may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I'm tormented in this flame. The hell was created for the devil and his angels. If anybody knows what it's like, Jesus Christ, God's son, the creator God knows what it's like. It was made for the devil and his angels and people who reject Christ are gonna go there without Christ forever. How are you planning to finish your life? You're making the plans now. You're making the plans by the attention you give or do not give to the Lord. We say, I gotta have a life, I gotta make a life. God intends for those who know him to make him the center of their life, the goal of their life. And it's not something tragic, it's wonderful. The only real life, everything else is a pretense. The only real life that exists is eternal life in Christ. The eternal one living in us. He's living in us. That's the only real life that exists. Everything else is a pretense, a disguise for life. I've seen them. Before I was a Christian, I was with them. Let's go and name the place. Let's do these things and name the things. Let's plan on a good time. Or maybe it was nothing profane, but just it didn't include God or God's son. That's not life. That's a pretense for life. Because when you wake up the next day, you got to try to find it again. But eternal life is forever. And when Christ comes to live in you, it's forever. He said, I will never leave you, never forsake you. 
you'll go with us all the way. I'm saying to you, how are you planning, planning to finish your life? Paul said, I'm finished my course. And you know it. I don't have to enlarge it. It's laid out there for everybody to see. Serving the Lord, verse 19, with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. When I was just a boy, when I was just a boy, I was digging a deep hole for myself. I mean digging the hole for myself. And by the way, everybody without Christ is digging a deep hole for themselves. And I found myself one day, I had a reputation that wasn't God-honoring, wasn't pleasing to the Lord. I was driving a car behind two of my friends who lost control of their car. They ran into a, a building. It was a block building on Sevierville Road in Maryville. And both of them shot through the windshield, bounced off the concrete building and lied dead on the hoods of their cars, of their car. When I got out and saw one moment they're here, next moment they're gone, one moment I'm talking to them somewhere, they jump in the car and now they're gone. I'm not trying to tell you that God did that to speak to me, but when it happened, God spoke to me. You don't get the idea sometimes that you're going to finish when you're young. You finish when you're old. You finish when you're sick. You finish when you're dying. You finish on your terms, not God's terms. But it doesn't work that way. I'm saying to you, how do you plan to finish your life? He said, I've been testifying both to the Jews and also the Greeks. My message is repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. Say that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. There's a second thing I want you to write down, and that is that in your planning, you must plan to grow and enlarge in your faith in God. Grow and enlarge in your faith in God. I don't know why, but I had the idea that life would get much easier all the while. But Jesus said the opposite. He said, man, this born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. Can you imagine that? Jesus said to his disciples just before he went to the cross, he said, in the world you shall have tribulation. One of my heroes is named Lee Robertson. He's with the Lord. He's been with the Lord for a long time. He was born in 1909. I think he died in... Well, he died at age 97. And he sat with me in a meeting when I was speaking with him in, a, in the state of Delaware. I'll never forget it, sitting beside me waiting to be called on to preach. 
and he was in his 70s. Now, nobody knew how long he would live. He lived to be 97, as I said, but he reached over and took me by the leg, took his hand and right above my knee, grasped my knee. And he turned to me, and of course, because of his motion and grasping me to get my attention, I looked at him, and here this 70-something-year-old man was weeping. And he said, Clarence, I'm having the hardest year of my life. And then he said, I thought these kind of trials would be over by now. But they weren't. So you say, God's making it harder and harder on us? No, I'm saying that we must increase our faith. We must grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. We must trust God for greater things. We must find a way to face the new challenges, to deal with the things that God allows in our lives and by faith to take on things. You say, well, I thought at this juncture in life, no, 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 we had the wrong idea. This is a world that is against God. We're making our way through it. And if we're planning to finish strong, we're going to have to grow stronger as we move through it. No doubt about it. Are you doing that? How can you do it? You do it with the word of God. Let the Bible become a friend to you. Memorize scripture. Meditate upon the scriptures that you memorize. Think of the goodness of God. Think what he did for you, what he's done for you. That his promises are, I will never leave you, forsake you. God is with you. Think that when we came to Christ, he gave us access immediately. Immediately. We have access to God. Can you imagine the God who made the world gives us access to him in a split second, no matter where we are? I can cry out to God. I was just in Montana uh, preaching to a group of leaders. I came back last evening because I wanted to be with you. I was in a beautiful spot. God was working in a great way. I was out in the middle of what people would call nowhere, but it was full of God's beauty. But in a second, I could cry out there or on a plane flying there or anywhere else. God has made a way so that any moment I could have access to him. Just in that moment, I could come into his presence, come into the throne room and speak to God. Why has God done that for us? so that we can finish well. We're not orphans. He hasn't left us. Paul said, I'm leaving here and I'm going to face greater challenges. God is with me. He's going to enable me. He finally got to Rome and walked out into a Roman courtyard and had his head severed from his shoulders. But God was with him all the way. He even wrote, when he was going near the end, I've finished my course. He'd fought a good fight. It wasn't that he had fought good, that the fight was worth fighting. And he finished his course. But our faith must grow. If you think I'm 70 now, or I'm 80 now, or I'm 60 now, or I'm 50 now, or I'm 30 now, I want you to know you're gonna face challenges. You're gonna have to deal with things. You're gonna hear news you don't wanna hear. 
And you're going to have to rely upon God to see you through if you're going to plan to finish well. And he says, as he goes on, but none of these things move me, verse 24, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. I want you to get that. If you would, circle a little word, joy. And the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. He says, I'm going to have to keep the joy of the Lord. That's in my plan. That's in my plan. May I let you in on some personal things? Very personal things. I've been here a long time. A long time. And I love every, every moment God's given me. And I plan to continue to be here. Some of my childhood friends see me from time to time and they say, when do you plan to give it up? I said, when God gets through with me. As long as I know God's blessing and doors are opening and God challenges me with things, why should I go somewhere and get in a rocking chair and wonder what's going on in the world? I'm not going to do that. I'm just not going to do it. Adjustments to make, yes. But I could let something or someone, I could let something or someone destroy my joy. Ultimately, it's always a choice I would make. So I have to keep that joy if I'm going to finish with joy. I plan to finish with joy. I plan to be happy going out of here to see Jesus. And that's not a, just a, a whim or a hope for thing. It's something I got to work at. I can't let you, I can't let you or anything I'm doing or anyone, I can't let you destroy that or anyone else. And God has made the Christian life so he can not only sustain our joy, but fill us with joy and encouragement while we're going through all the way to the finish. Is that what you want? Then plan on it. You say, I could get even with this guy. I could say something about this guy. I could get mad at this person and justify it and say, you know, the truth of the matter is everybody would understand and we don't know what we're going to face. We don't know what we're going to face. But keeping the joy does something else. It has so many byproducts. It enables you to enable others and encourage others and help others. I heard earlier this morning that someone I know lost a son in the most tragic way. Now, I'm not going through what he's going through, but I I tried to call him. I couldn't get him on the phone, but I left a message on his phone that we're praying for him and our church is praying for him. And I'm praying for him. I want to encourage him. I don't know how somebody lives through something like that except to say that God sees them through and he will. But staying in the joy of the Lord. Paul, wait a minute. Wait a minute. God records this and it's truthful. But you, you're the man who's been through everything, beaten and unimaginable things happen, rejected. But he said, I'm finishing with joy. And if you're going to finish with it, you've got to keep it, keep it alive and going all the way through.
I've been married 53 years. I enjoy saying that. And I enjoy hearing people say, that's a long time. And I enjoy saying back to them, it's not long enough than looking over and smiling at Evelyn. I want to see if she's smiling at me. Do you know, you can let your marriage just wear out before it's gone. It takes work and planning. You can get bored with your children and your children can get bored with you. And you get ticked off about some particular thing and it just becomes emblazoned and woven into their lives. But watch out. You won't be happy in your marriage or your family anymore. You won't have the joy anymore. I'm asking you a question. You say, I don't have to give you an answer. That's right. You don't. But you will give God an answer. How do you plan to finish your life?